Praise the Lord. Well, today we're talking from the topic, Grow Up Spiritually. And I've got a handout, and so I'll hand out to those who are here. And from this particular uh, topic of Grow Up and Grow Up Spiritually, we're discussing and sharing uh, an insert that you have in front of you. And it's interesting because one of them comes from our daily bread, which if you don't have a copy, we'd be more than happy to give you one. But it comes from our daily bread, and the insert is entitled Image Consultants. And I'm going to take a moment and read it, and you can follow along with me. It says, in our media-saturated age, image consultants have become indispensable. Entertainers, athletes, politicians, and business leaders seem desperate to manage the way they are perceived in the eyes of the world. These high-priced consultants work to shape how their clients are viewed, even if sometimes there is a stark contrast between the public image and the real person inside. In reality, what people need, what all of us need, is not an external makeover, but an inner transformation. Our deepest flaws cannot be corrected cosmetically. They are directly related to who we are in heart and mind. And they reveal how far we have fallen from the image of God in which we were created. But such transformation is beyond any human ability to accomplish. Only Christ offers us true transformation, not just a facelift or an outward adjustment. Paul said that those who have been raised to eternal life in Christ have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. New. What a tremendous word, full of hope. Christ transforms us into new people in him. People with a new heart not just fixed up to look good on the outside. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And then it has a statement at the bottom. The Spirit develops in us the clear image of Christ. Praise the Lord. Now, in that whole presentation, it speaks about what we look like on the outside or our public view or our view from the public. However, it's important to note that it's more important what happens in you than what's happening to you. Because a lot of times you can't determine all the different circumstances that may be occurring in your life and in your environment. But always remember, it's more important what happens in you than what happens to you. And with that in mind, I want to look at this other excerpt that's on that page. And it's taken out of uh, the Maxwell Leadership Bible, uh, but it says, self-discipline the battle begins in the mind. And the reason I'm looking or we're looking at that is because we said change occurs within. And it's more important what's happening in you than what's happening to you. And the bottom line is, no matter how much people from the outside are trying to get an individual to change or to modify their behavior, it's going to take 
some self-discipline of that individual. And the self-discipline is going to have to be based on what's happening inside of that individual. And more specifically, as it says here, self-discipline, the battle begins in the mind. That's an awesome thing. But we know that that's really true. The battle begins in the mind. I think it's interesting because Paul makes an observation, the Apostle Paul makes an observation out of Colossians, the third chapter, and later we're going to look at that chapter. But he says in, or Maxwell says in this little insert, the battle begins in the mind. Paul argues that since we have a new position, we need to get a new perspective. And what do we mean when we say the term perspective? Perspective is how one views a situation. Perspective has to do with what's on the inside of that individual that has a great bearing on how they view life, how they view other people, and even how they view themselves in relationship to themselves and to their environment. So if perspective is that important, then we need to back up and determine, just as it says here, that if we don't, let's go this way, if our perspective depends upon our position, then we need to understand what position we're in. And by position, it's really talking about a person's identity or where that person believes that they are and who they are. And so if you think about that, it comes down to identity. How that person identifies him or herself. Because based on how you identify yourself, it will determine how you perceive and your perspective on life. And so from that standpoint, it's important that first of all, we determine who we are, where we are, and then whether or not we're growing up in what we should be growing up to on the inside of us. Now, all of us know when we were born, we weren't five feet tall or six feet tall or four foot eight or whatever. But we came as a baby, maybe six inches long when you came out of the womb. Maybe some came a little longer, a little bigger and all of that. But there was a process which we call growth that took place. A process that we called growth that took place. And in that process of growing, we became more agile. Uh, all of the parts that we had, even when we began, because I think it's exciting. When the baby is born, normally the baby already has eyebrows. The baby already has all the components that God desired that baby to have. And I think that's a miracle in itself. That whole concept of birth that God put in place. And so we begin to understand that who is the creator of life? God is. And somebody may say, well, I don't know if that's true. Well, come on. You know no man created you. As they often say, your mom and dad may have given you your DNA, but God 
has given us life. And that's the tremendous focus. Because if we understand that God has given us life in the first place, this body, the makeup that we have, and what composes us has been given to us by God, then what about on the inside of us? Who can identify who we are on the inside? I would say that God can. Sometimes we think nobody knows me better than me because nobody's walked in my shoes. And to a degree, that's correct as it pertains to other human beings. But God knows you better than you know yourself. And that's the key. Because the word of God tells us in Jeremiah 1.5, the Lord told Jeremiah, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Now that's a classic in itself. But then he said in Psalm 139, I saw your unformed substance before any of it was. Well, come on. If God could see our unformed substance before any of it was, then it means that we existed before our substance was materialized. That's an awesome observation. So even when the sperm and egg unite and the cells split, etc., etc., and form the embryo and so forth, that which you are existed before the cells and the egg. Wow. And I think that's a tremendous observation because then we begin to realize, I like to put it like this, that you existed in the mind of God before you were formed in your mother's womb. Well, that's a tremendous thing because it means I existed in God. If I existed in God, before I was formed in my mother's womb, then that means God knows me better than I know myself. Because he's the creator. Which means if I'm going to identify myself and determine my position, I've got to consider what position God purposed for me to be in. Because if we don't, then you can't even grow up properly. Because all of us are growing one way or the other. Sometimes if you plant uh, grass or if you plant a lawn and the grass grows, isn't it interesting that weeds will grow up sometimes in that same lawn. And you may say, well, wait a minute, I didn't plant any weeds there. But the seed of the weed got in the soil and it grew a weed because that's what was in the seed. So then you begin to understand, well, wait a minute, if that's the case, hmm, and I want to do an analogy to the seed in the ground and the seed in the womb, then what is going to determine how the seed in the womb is going to develop? Wow. And I would say to you that what determines that is how you are impacted by the environment that you find yourself in. And I say that because 
Think about it. A person who's born, and they are born in a particular environment. Let's say the environment that you're born in, folks are throwing stuff, cursing and carrying on and hollering and screaming at everybody. Then what's going to happen to that baby as they grow up? They're going to be impacted or affected by all the screaming and the hollering and all that kind of stuff. One way or the other. Either they're going to come out and grow up quiet and reserved because they've been put beat into submission. Or they're going to grow up and do what? Imitate what they have seen. And you see that on a daily basis. That children imitate what they've seen. And imitate their environment. I was, we were at a, uh, a place recently, and the little girl I, I sort of caught me off guard because the little girl was in the store with her mom, and the little girl said to her mom, well, you're lying. And then later, the little, girl, the little girl was yelling at her brother, you better stop that. You better do so and so, so and so, so and so, so and so. And I looked again, and then the mother says, you better shut your mouth. And I'm thinking to myself, now she heard probably her mama telling them, you better shut your mouth and so and so, so and so, so and so, so and so. Because that's the environment that she has been exposed to. So you begin to understand that in growing up, it's important what your environment is. Are we getting it? Yes. Then let's look at this first point right here. When it says, permanent change and improvement always happen from the inside out. Consider Paul's prescription for self-discipline. And the number one thing is, remember your identity. We must focus first on our position in Christ. It all starts there. Wow. When it says we must focus our position on our position in Christ, it all starts there. Then Paul has picked up from the point of a person who has received Christ as their Savior by believing that Christ or Jesus is the Son of God. And as a result of that, that person has then become identified with Christ. And now uh, they are a new creature, a new creation, as that image consultant article told us, which is found in 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So therefore, you focus first on your position in Christ. And it all starts there. Uh, I think it's exciting and uh, I've got some scriptures attached to here, but my goodness, wow. I'm going to go another way. Turn to 2 Timothy, please. 2 Timothy in your Bible. 2 Timothy, the first chapter. And there's a tremendous scripture that's in there. 2 Timothy, 1st chapter, beginning at verse 8. And we're going to read down through verse 10. First, 2 Timothy, chapter 1, beginning at verse 8. And it reads, can you, let's read it out loud together, please. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. 
but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Wow. Let's read verse 10, please. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Notice it says, well, this is Paul writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. And he's encouraging Timothy not to be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of Paul, who's in prison. And he's telling him, that is, Paul is telling Timothy, share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. And I think that's important because he didn't say, suffer with me in your own strength. He said, suffer with me according to the power of God. And that's suffering for the gospel. In other words, if you're doing it God's way and you want to be obedient to his direction, then you may suffer. But you've got to suffer according to the power of God. Then it says, who has saved us? Well, who's the who? Who's the who that's being described? What we talked about. God is. God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Well, think about that. There's so many truths in this statement. First of all, it's telling us that God saved us, called us with a holy calling, Not according to our works, but according to who? His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Well, wait a minute. Before time began. That means that there was a point in the past when time began. And that God existed before time began. And that Christ existed before time began. Is that not true? Because it says God gave to us these things in Christ Jesus, before time began. Which means there had to be a period before time began. And in that period, there had to be God. And there had to be Christ Jesus. My goodness. Yeah. But not only that, it says that he has given these things, which we're going to talk about in a minute, given them to who? Yes. To us. In Christ Jesus, before time began. So, there's a period before time began. And we see God is there. We see Christ Jesus is there. Guess who else is there? Us is there. Before time began. That will blow you out the water. When you understand. 
that you existed before time began. Yes, God said he saw you. He saw your unformed substance before any of it was. My goodness. Before any of our substance was there, we were there in the mind of God. Now what did he give us? It says, God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So, what was given to us? One thing that was given to us was we were called and we were saved. Saved us, called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. So this thing was done according to God's own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So what is he saying? God's purpose and his grace, which included our salvation and our calling, with this holy calling, lined up with his purpose and grace, was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So if you establish that, we're going to see the next part of this in verse 10. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Well, wait a minute. But has now been revealed. Well, what's now been revealed? What has now been revealed? What has been revealed is that God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So the bottom line is, when Christ showed up, then the revelation of what God had done before time began was manifested, revealed, made known to us. That's an awesome thing. But remember, when was it done? It was done before time began. It was revealed when Christ appeared. My goodness. I think that's absolutely tremendous. Because we begin to understand what God did and what God had in mind was established before time began. And we existed in that period before time began. In the mind of God. We weren't revealed. We weren't revealed until we were birthed on the planet. Well, guess what? What God gave us in Christ Jesus was not revealed until Christ Jesus appeared. That's why when the scripture says God knows the end from the beginning. We don't know the end 
until it appears. But it's already been established from the beginning. My goodness. Then we begin to understand when God says the just shall live by faith. Wait a minute. And faith is the substance of things hopeful and the evidence of things not seen. But the things that are not seen exist. They haven't appeared yet, but they are. And so faith says, that is the substance of things hopeful. And it's the evidence I have of things unseen. And therefore my faith is in God. Because God is the one who knows all that is and is yet to be. And so in Him, they already exist, even though they haven't yet appeared. My goodness. They haven't been revealed yet. I think that is tremendous. Tremendous. And yet in Deuteronomy 29, 29, he says that the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever. That we may do all the works of the law. So the bottom line is, when God reveals it to us, then it belongs to us. My goodness. So what does that have to do with identity and growing up and position and all of that? You shared all that, Pastor Joe, but what are you talking about? I'm talking about God's purpose and His plan, which is saving us and calling us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus, before time began, we have to understand that God's purpose and the grace is in Christ. And so it was given to us in Christ, which means God had intended from the beginning that man would be in Christ. That's what's so exciting. And so when the scripture tells us over in 1 Timothy, the second chapter, God desires all men, not some, not a few, but all men be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. So God's desire for all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth superseded time. It came before time. My goodness. That's what's so exciting. And if we can come to the realization that God's purpose and grace for man was given to man in Christ Jesus, then you can understand why the enemy doesn't want he doesn't care. talk about God, Allah, Buddha, anybody and their brother. But don't talk about Jesus. Because he recognizes that God's purpose and grace and what God had for man was given to man in Christ Jesus before time began. And therefore, I can't let man know that because if he begins to understand that then he will no longer be able to be deceived and my power over him will be diminished that's why it says 
Resist the devil and he'll flee. But you can't resist what you don't know. And you can't resist if you don't know how to resist. And the whole key is God purposed this thing before time began. My goodness. We begin to see the picture so clear. It's not a hidden thing. He made it so clear. Because now it's been revealed when Christ Jesus appeared. And what did Jesus do? He abolished death and brought what? Life and immortality to light through the gospel. I think that's important to understand. He said he brought life and immortality. We always want to say, well, you know, he brought eternal life. Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he did more. He brought life and immortality to light. That's an awesome thing. But I got even one better. Turn with me, please, to John, the fifth chapter. John, the fifth chapter. Because Jesus made some statements in John, the fifth chapter, which are absolutely awesome. 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 My goodness. Notice what Jesus says in the fifth chapter. <sighs> the 24th verse of that fifth chapter. He says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Well, wait a minute. Jesus is speaking, and he said, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. So wait. He said, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Well, who sent him? The Father sent him. So Jesus just said, If you believe in the Father, then you have everlasting life if you believe in the Father. But in the context of Jesus' discussion with the folks, he shared with them, but if you believe in the Father, then you'll believe in me because he sent me. So you can't say, I believe in the Father and don't believe in me. It don't work that way because the Father sent me. But the key is, he who believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has what? Passed from death into life. Then he gets even deeper. Listen. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. The time will come. And now is. The time will come. And now is. The hour is coming and now is. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. The key is. The scripture talks about that man is dead in sins and transgressions. That we are dead. Though we live, we're yet dead. So there's a need to recognize I'm dead in order to believe and live and experience life. You get it? 
But then he says, look at what he says in verse 26, which I think is absolutely awesome. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. Now, that should blow anybody out of the water. Because Jesus says, the Father has life in himself. And the Father has granted the Son to have life in himself. So who's the originator of the life? The Father. But he granted the Son to have life in himself. This is awesome. And then he goes on and says, and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. So God the Father has given the Son the authority to execute judgment. Then he says to them, do not marvel at this. Now come on. He just blew him out of the water. And then he says, do not marvel at this. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear the voice, hear his voice, and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Wait, wait. He says, the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves wait, he didn't say that, did he? he didn't say that. He said the hour is coming where some folks who are in the graves will hear his voice. He said all who are in the graves will hear his voice and do what? Come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Then he says, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Isn't that awesome? Now, if that don't blow you out the water, i got one more for you. Let's go down to verse 38. Hmm. Well, no, we're going to read it in context, because then you'll get it. If I bear witness, I'm at verse 31. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There's another who bears witness of me. And I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man. But I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp. And you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me. Come on. He's been saying that all, all through this conversation. Mm -hmm. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. But you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. 
and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I thought that was awesome. Did you get it? He said, but you aren't willing to come to me that you may have life. Well, if he's telling them, if you come to me, you'll have life. In other words, he must be telling them, at present, you ain't got life. Well, what's the opposite of life? Death. My goodness. He's shaking it as plain as he can. He's telling them, but you're not willing to come. The bottom line is, the Father has purposed before time began, has called us with a holy calling, saved us, and it's all been given to us in Christ Jesus. And it's available to every man. But you can't get it. This life that's been given to us in Christ. Because you ain't willing to come. You're not willing to believe that the Father himself sent him to bring salvation. Wow. I thought that was awesome. I thought that was awesome. And just a side comment, which I think is tremendous. Pastor Marlene is teaching on honor. But look at this. This is tremendous. Even, even, i got to share this part. She may share it at another time, but I want to share this. Go back in this chapter 5, where it says, mm, mm, mm. If we go up to chapter 5, uh, in chapter 5, mm -hmm. and look where he says, well, let's just pick up somewhere. Verse 23. Yeah, verse 23. Mm -hmm. That all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And ties into what Pastor Marlene's been teaching, where God said in 2 Samuel, He that honoreth me, the Lord says, I will honor. And Jesus comes back and simply says that he who does not honor, that all should honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And then go over to verse 41. After Jesus said, But you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men. But I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? I thought that was awesome. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor? that comes from the only God. God says, He that honoreth me, I will honor. And the bottom line is, Jesus is saying, come on, you can't receive honor from God if you're not honoring, if you don't seek the honor that comes from the only isn't that something? How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? 
And the only way you're going to get the honor that comes from the only God is to honor God. And if you honor God, then you've got to honor the Son. Because the Father sent the Son and gave Him to have granted Him to have life in Himself. And not only that, but to give this life to man. But man can't get the life because they're not willing to come to the Son. So the enemy has found man in a place of death. And so he's saying, okay, man is already condemned. Jesus said that. They're already condemned. So they're in a place of condemnation. The only way they can come out of that place of condemnation is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in whom God has purposed before time began to save man and call it with a holy calling. That salvation and saving and calling is in Christ Jesus. It's been given to us in Christ. So I don't want you to come to Christ. Because if you do, you'll pass from death. You'll pass from condemnation to life. And Jesus says, the only thing that's stopping you is you're not willing. <laughs> you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. I thought that was awesome. So what is that telling us? That man's will is absolutely tremendous. Because if we will to come to him, then we can have the life. Notice he didn't say nothing about the devil. But you are not willing to come. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. He didn't mention nothing about the devil in there. Not a thing. I thought it was interesting. Because if anything, he should have said but the reason you don't come to me is because the devil is so busy until you all don't even know, you know. He ain't say nothing about that. He says, you don't come because you're not willing to come. You're not willing to come to me that you may have life. Wow. We stop at this point. It's 1030. Praise the Lord. We'll see where we go next week. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit, Father, who's the teacher in the body of Christ. Thank you for your instruction today in your word. May it be sealed in our hearts, Father. May we meditate on it. In Jesus' name, amen.